So there's, I told you earlier, I have three daughters and I do. And you got to hear about two. So I'm going to tell you how our third daughter came to be. We had really settled into the idea of we have these two kids. And I'm going to tell you, it was hard because having two kids two years apart, there was a time where I still had two kids in diapers. I still had two kids um, in the car seat kind of time. And so that was particularly challenging because the um, effort it takes to really care for two small children is like nothing else. It is it is hard. It is very hard, but it is very rewarding. So I would never say it is um, not something that uh, I cherish, but I would say it's not something I want to do again. <laughs> it was a hard time. Um, but I was also still teaching. I was teaching at a middle school at this particular time, and I was, you know, bringing my kids to daycare, going to school, leaving school, actually kind of late. I also worked in the after-school program and um, then would pick up the kids and come on home. And then the whole routine started, you know, you're making dinner, you're bathing kids, you're getting kids to bed, blah, 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 blah. So all that was going on. At the same time, I worked, you know, the school that I worked at was a high-need school. And that's where I wanted to be. That's where you are really the most service because those those kids need their teachers. They need the support that they get from school. And so it was a very rewarding experience. There was one young lady that was an amazing young lady. And I remember, you know, just seeing she had such a spirit in her um, of kindness and, you know, really wanting to achieve. She also had this little fire in her where she would get into altercations with people pretty quickly. You know, if they said something mean to her, um, she was very quick to um, retaliate, so to speak, whether it was with words or actually with her fists at some point in time. So, you know, she became known to us as, you know, this young lady here. She's so sweet, but it seems like she just gets into so much, you know, stuff. And in getting to know her more, we got her involved in the after school program and, you know, things of that nature. She wanted to be in everything. So it was almost like she never wanted to go home. So she was in athletics. She was in uh, arts. She was in any club or activity. If you came early, she was there early. She wanted to help you set up. She was there late. She'll help you do whatever. So she became pretty much known to a lot of the teachers and as well as the other faculty, staff members, and administration. We started a what was called an adopt-a-kid kind of program at the school. And so everyone would um, look at students that fell into certain categories, whether they were struggling academically, but then also needed a clever activity or had been suspended or had multiple absences. And you kind of would like um, work with a group of kids such as that to form some relationships, some bonds, be a person to kind of check in with them and, you know, make sure they were on track. So they had an adult on campus that could be their um, adopt-a-kid support system and check in. So this particular young lady became um, an adopted kid actually for another individual on campus because she was so involved. Everybody still knew who she was. And when this particular person ended up transferring to another um, school, 
the kids that were her adopted kids, she was like, please, you know, I want you guys to take care of them. And I ended up taking on this particular young lady and taking her on. There were some things that myself as well as some other people had started to notice. And it, it had to do with somewhat of the way she was um, kept up. We could tell that no one was really particularly taking care of her hair and her hair would be breaking off very brittle, very hard. So someone wasn't doing her hair, nor they taking care of her hair. She um, didn't always have the clean clothes. And, you know, you could just tell that something else might be going on. So you don't know if that has to do with abuse or neglect or if it just has to do with, you know, lack of resources. So no one really um, delved deeply into it because it wasn't like you could see that these things were evidencing, you know, bruises or um, anything that was severe enough that it would require someone to call an investigation. She was perfectly well-functioning. She was doing well in school. She didn't ever say that there was anything particularly um, an issue. So it had to do with in um, her being more involved in activities and specifically Things like drama and chorus where there would be shows, but no one would show up to support her. She never, We never met her parents. They wouldn't come for conferences. They wouldn't come for activities. They just wouldn't be there. She seemed fine about it, but they wouldn't come. So it became when um, she would walk, and then sometimes she'd be there so late for whatever activity, but we'll just drive you home. So I'm driving her home, um, we started to notice that that she would like be entering the house. There's no lights on. Like, where's no one's home? So it's late at night. No one's home. If we pick her up early in the morning, it didn't seem like anybody was home. It was very strange or odd that it didn't seem like people were living. So we asked a little bit more questions. And then there was one particular day where um, um, myself and the guidance counselor just said, like, we, like, we've been dropping off. We got to see inside, you know, your house. Can you just like take us for a tour or whatever? And she seemed very apprehensive, but in trusting us, she did. And in going in, I remember walking into this small apartment, and it was a one-bedroom apartment. And you went into the kitchen, the living room. You know, it looked it looked fine, like very much a regular standard living room, standard kitchen. And, you know, just noticing, well, there's just one bedroom. So she, where do you sleep? And then she said, um... I sleep on the couch. And I was like, well, the couch looks like living room looks very much made up. So what do you do? You get up, you put all your stuff, you know, up every day. And she was like, yeah, I put it in the closet. And so I said, what closet? And then we walked over and there was like a little, um, I wouldn't consider a walk-in closet. You could walk in, but it's tiny. And she opened that little walk-in closet. And it was clear to us that someone was living in that closet, that that closet was her room. So all the blankets that were on the floor, her little pillow was there. You could tell that there were some dishes that were off to the side and um, clothes like in a bag. And there was actually um, the dog, a little dog was kept in there too, which was crazy because we were like, how they had a dog? And you wouldn't even know there was a dog in the house. Also inside there, um, there weren't any pictures of her. So in walking around the house and just kind of looking, there were pictures of her mom and dad, but there were no pictures of her. So it was just kind of like there was a couple of red flags. And just in talking to her, 
I asked, are you, you stay in this closet? And she was like, well, sometimes I do because I like to just be myself. I was like, okay, um, anything else going on? No, 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 everything's fine. So I remember leaving and um, trying not to make her feel like um, we had any red flags, but talking to the guidance counselor that you need to reach out to the parents and we need to talk about what this is. They were actually, um, they had actually immigrated from another country. And so English was not their first language. And being that she spoke the language, we wanted her to reach out first to, to type, to, to kind of explain to them. And um, after that counselor reached out to kind of talk to them about what we observed, we noticed that this young lady came back to school very much different. And um, it was clear that she had been hurt. She had some marks on her body. And so in talking to her, uh, reluctantly, she did, you know, say that she was, she had been being beaten and she was beaten for this because she let us into the house. So at that time, we did have enough to um, call Department of Children Families and we did so because we have to report. And... In reporting, they they came, they did an interview, they talked to her, they talked to the family, they found no reason to uh, remove her at the time, so she stayed. And I think things got a little bit progressively worse because um, now they weren't letting her stay after school or come early. So we really felt like an obligation to her because it was because of our intervention that things had changed so drastically for her and where she was finding joy in school, now they were not permitting her to stay. Um, it was probably a couple weeks later when we noticed Mars again, um, called again. And at that time as well, she was determined, it was determined that she could stay. And I don't know what interventions they were providing to the family, but, you know, they did say that, um, they were working with the family, so to speak. So, um, one thing I did try to do was to, um, get her back involved in activities and talking to her parents about, you know, look, we're not trying to be in your business. She's doing real well. We just want her to be in, you know, the activities. I think if she just comes right to the activities, things will be, you know, a lot better for her and she won't fall behind and blah, blah, blah. Reluctantly, they did allow her to come back into activities. And I think they started to get a little bit annoyed and tired of the interaction from DCF. I don't know what their particular circumstances were with regards to immigration or anything like that, but they started to get tired of the um, involvement and did not want that involvement from the outside government agency. So I had um, had her ask her parents if it was okay. You know, she could spend some weekends over. She could come over. She could you know, definitely come over afterwards, eat dinner, if she's not going to have anybody home at the house, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know, but I think it started um, gradually. They were allowing her to come over and um, until within probably like a couple weeks or so, they just basically let her live with me, which was very odd. But at the same time, um, it was fine because I felt like now at least she's safe. And she was unbelievably um, sweet girl. And I remember in her beginning to stay, both the girls were tiny then too. I think um, my youngest was one and my um, other daughter at the time was three. 
and she was 12. So um, she was able to help out a little bit, but at the same time, she was also learning as well um, different ways of interaction within our family. So she was um, transitioning at that time. She did that year and then was getting ready, like completing her eighth grade year, going into high school. At that time, we did have um, kind of some bumps in the road where she tested limits, wanted to go back. And to make a long story short, she did end up um, she did end up going back because in her staying with me, I once she entered high school, I was not able to intervene because um, legally I wasn't her parents. So when it came time for parent conferences or to have certain situations or immunization or doctor's appointments, it was becoming a bit problematic in talking to her parents. They did not want to allow us to adopt or relinquish any rights. So we really didn't have any recourse. And um, she decided, you know, she just wants to leave, kind of do it on her own. And then she had a couple instances where I guess ran away and um, got put into like a juvenile setting and then went back and ran away and then ended up being in a group home. So while she was in the group home, we kind of reconnected. That was more towards her senior year. And as she finished out her senior year, she was headed to a um, junior college. Everything was uh, well, no, not during for our university. Everything seemed like it was better back on track. We had considered her to be, you know, our daughter at that time, even though it had been sporadically that she um, was with us. So her first year there at the university, within the first semester, she ended, semester she ended up also um, meeting a boy, getting pregnant, and she ended up coming back. So from that point on, she was pretty much back with us. And has never left us. So that's my third daughter that um, was in our life since the age of, I think, 11, because that's when I knew her as a student, but then 12 on as what I call our daughter. And then there was sometimes sporadically where she was in and out. But, you know, since that day that she came back from college and was playing with her daughter from that point on, she's been constant um, in our life. And now she is 30 years old. So that I have three children and um, she has been amazing. She has given us the gift of two grandchildren and she is um, now married and has her own house and her own business and doing amazingly well. But those are my three girls and my three daughters and each of them came to us in such unique ways. And the funny thing about it is um my oldest in age is actually the last daughter and the middle in age is actually the first daughter and our youngest is actually the second daughter. So their birth order um, is not necessarily the order that they entered the family, which is kind of um, funny because people will say you're firstborn and my um, firstborn is not the first to enter or the first daughter. Right. So it's it's um, pretty different and unique for us. But that too was an opportunity, I think, to say um, we were given the amazing gift of two babies and able to take those two babies and raise them in our family and um, from the start. But then God said, um, I'm going to give you a challenge that you have been supporting kids. You've been there for kids. I put you on this earth to take care of kids. But 
I'm going to give you this challenge that do you really believe and do you really subscribe to that belief? Because this is not a young child. This is not a, the, a young elementary school age child or a baby. This is actually a older child, an adolescent. And if you are there for children, you're going to be there for this one too. And so I do look at that as another way that God tests to say, are you faithful to you? Um, do you want to live as that um, beacon for the purpose that I put you here for, which is to care for children, all children. And so in doing so, I hope that even though we had some bumps in the road with regard to legalities and um, so on and so forth, that caused her not to be with us the whole time, knowing that she is was with us and still is with us and is considered to be just as much a daughter as my other two daughters is the most amazing thing um, that I can say has happened to us. She um, calls us mom and dad. She really has no contact with the um, family she used to live with, which are technically even not her mom and dad. She actually came to this country with um, to people that they're relatives, but they were kind of paid to bring her with them to give her a better opportunity. And so, therefore, I think they felt like she was more indentured to them than actually a child for them. So that turned up in how they care for her. So we were given that amazing opportunity to have three daughters. And again, like I say, none of us share the same blood. So, amazing. Thank you for listening to blood ain't always thicker please hit subscribe and share our podcast with others that may need to hear this message